Hi, welcome to the Weekend Sober. This is Kim. I have Ketsia here with me again this week, and we have a really special guest. We have Jill Teets here with us from the Sober Power podcast. Thank you, Jill, so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Um, This is really exciting because so often we're on here talking about things and we always want to know the science behind what the hell we're actually talking about and we're always like i wish we had a scientist on here because we don't we don't know what we're talking about half the time well thank you thanks for being here no pressure right it just kind of adds some like substance and backing to some of this also too i know for me in early sobriety and still i kind of like to nerd out on some of the um reasons why like why I did the things I did what I was trying to you know soothe and numb and whatever but then also the changes that your body goes through when you first come into sobriety you know all that stuff is really like foreign I think to a lot of people so we're happy to have you here yeah well thank you really happy to have you so thank you um you have one of the best podcasts I devoured it in the early days of my sobriety um I know Kezia and I were talking about this. We were both saying how we like fangirled over you. We we're like, you yeah. are the coolest, smartest individual. And I like was maybe a two weeks sober and I would um, listen to your podcast and I would write down notes. I would literally take notes during it so I could like share facts with people and my husband and like other friends and things like that. And I just felt that it was, you just provide so much information that I think so many people need to need to know about what we're going through in early sobriety. What at the end of our drinking, we're just like, you know, so confused and so, you know, needing very basic answers to our questions. And I feel like you provide that in, in all of your episodes. So thank you for that. Um, so we're hoping that you can provide some answers to some of our questions today. We're going to be talking a little bit about anxiety in drinking and in early sobriety. So I think this is something that a lot of people can relate to that. We were all, we all kind of suffered from anxiety while we were drinking. And I Definitely. think, it, I think it also exacerbated existing pre-existing stuff too. Like for me, my anxiety is definitely still there, but I think drinking was, what does Laura McCowan say? It's like pouring gasoline on the, on the fire. Like it literally just made it so explosive and so out of control and also like really hard to understand. So I think that's the other reason that your mind in sobriety seeks to get the scientific side of things is because you want to understand the illogical things that you did when you were drinking. You're like, why would I continuously do that if it was making my anxiety worse? Well, we didn't know at the time that it was because in the beginning you take that first drink and you're like, oh, I'm so relaxed. (laughs) You know, fast forward to two drinks in, three drinks in the next morning, the middle of the night, that kind of hell, you know? So yeah, Jill, maybe you can speak to what's going on chemically what's going on inside our brain when, you know, we were still drinking and why people feel like, oh, this drink, this glass of wine is going to make me feel so relaxed. This is going to alleviate my stress at the end of the day. Um, you know, my kids are driving me nuts. This is going to make me feel so much better. And why do we always end up feeling so much worse the next day 
or later in the evening or at that 3 a.m. wake up in bed, why do we feel like crap? Why don't you give us a little background? Teach us. (laughs) Yeah, so the problem is it does actually relax you. And that's why we believe that it does because drinking makes you feel more relaxed. It's just the nature of alcohol. And the first couple hours, maybe you feel better and, and calm. So then you have that association with drinking and you're not thinking like five hours later, 10 hours later, when now you have massive anxiety, you're not connecting that with your drinking anymore because there's so much distance between the two. So we blame ourselves usually like I'm just an anxious person or I'm just a loser. That's why I stay awake all night thinking about how much I suck. You blame yourself for it. So it's because of that like time difference where in the beginning you drink and then you immediately see it helps and you're not able to connect all the bad stuff because it's so far in the distance from your drinking. Um, But there's a lot of reasons why it relaxes you. And the main one is just that it slows down your brain. So your brain is sending messages, um, your anxious thoughts and all these things that you're thinking about. It's sending those all around your brain, this like jittery energy. And when you drink alcohol, it's a depressant. So it slows down the messages being sent around your brain. So because it's doing that, it's slowing down the racing thoughts. It's slowing down the jitteriness and whatever you're feeling. And then you get that calm response from it. So then you associate drinking alcohol with reduced anxiety. But the problem is it's a fake feeling, like you're manufacturing that feeling with alcohol. So just the nature of the way that the brain works, you're going to get the exact opposite feeling magnified when the alcohol wears off. So if you're artificially slowing down your brain, your brain is going to compensate for that by attempting to speed itself up so that it can cancel out the alcohol and go back to normal like brain activity level. So when the alcohol wears off, it's like the brakes come off and now your brain is like overactive and going nuts because it was trying to speed itself up just to be normal. And now it's just going extra fast. So because it's going much faster, those messages start going even faster than they were before. So now your thoughts are racing again. You feel jittery and anxious and you can't like relax. And because that's so far away from the actual drinking, we don't associate it with alcohol. Like if you're drinking at 6 p.m. and the anxiety doesn't happen till 3 a.m. or like 7 or 8 a.m. the next day, that's so far removed from your drinking that we don't make that connection. We only connect it with the reduced anxiety in the beginning. So then we keep thinking that we are this horribly anxious person and alcohol is the only thing that helps. But the more you do it, the more you build this tolerance and you need more and more alcohol to feel relaxed. And because you need more alcohol to feel relaxed, that after effect is also more intense. And this is why a lot of people will struggle to quit is because the anxiety in the beginning is so overpowering that they just cannot stand it and they keep drinking to relieve it, but then they're resetting. So it just like that vicious cycle. Yeah, it's horrible. And the longer you do it, 
the more and more your tolerance builds and the worse your anxiety becomes in withdrawal. Mm, I definitely noticed that in early sobriety for sure. And I do suffer from anxiety, but that intense feeling in the beginning, especially like, you know, I had to have um, medical help for my withdrawal symptoms. So obviously there was that aspect of it. If I hadn't done that, and for years before that, I didn't seek medical help. So like every time, like you said, Jill, I would just keep going back because the only way to make it somewhat better. And there was a certain point where my brain knew that alcohol was the culprit, right? Like in the last year or so of my drinking, I was like, it's not anything else, but I still couldn't quite come to terms with it. Right. But so I would keep self-medicating with it because it gave a little bit of a relief, but each time, like, I think there's a saying or something like, every time you go back out, when you come back to, to recovery, it's harder to get back in that time because it's worse. Cause like you said, your tolerance just keeps going up. So you're like, whereas you might've only needed two drinks to get that relaxed feeling. Now you're needing a bottle of wine and it's not sustainable. So it was, it was almost unbearable in the beginning. And, yeah, and, and like you said to getting medical help, sometimes mm-hmm. that's required. Like sometimes the anxiety yeah. is so bad that you, you just cannot handle it. And people try to willpower their way through like and then they cave in day four and five and then they keep repeating the cycle over and over and over and it gets worse and worse and worse so I'm I'm really really glad that you brought that up yeah because I I think there's a lot of shame and stigma around having to seek medical help and and thinking oh it's only the really worst of the worst of quote-unquote alcoholics if that's a term that doesn't apply to you then you're not you're going to feel that there's something wrong with you for having to have that when in reality your body's seeking homeostasis. And so like when it's seeking that and you can't provide that just out of nowhere, you obviously need a little bit of medical help in some way, shape or form. Right. So there was shame attached to it for many years before I actually was finally like through the towel. And I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that probably is why I struggled so many times to um, do something about my drinking because, you know, those mornings where I would wake up and think, okay, I need to, I need to, you know, face the music and actually do something about this awful cycle. Um, you know, it was always like later in the day, I would think, okay, I'm okay. I I don't have a problem, you know? And, um, I would not be able to follow through with it. And I don't know if that speaks to something else, another part of the brain that's (laughs) taking over, stepping in, but, um, yeah, it would always, convince myself that no, I'm okay. I can do this. Um, so, and yeah, that anxiety that always existed, you know, in the 3am hour. I think the morning part too, by the end I was drinking in the morning. So for me, that anxiety carried like literally through the night, there wasn't a time where I didn't feel some type of anxiety because at that point having one drink, wasn't going to do anything. And by the time, like you said, Jill, it slows down your brain. And that's what I was looking for because I get, I didn't realize this at the time, but I get sensory overload. I have ADHD. I also didn't know that. So all this stuff is going on in my environment. And I'm like, okay, the only way to dumb my brain down was to have that drink. But then to need a bottle of it, well, at a certain point, you're just going to pass out anyway, or I was, I would get blackout, right? So it's like the damage that it was doing just was compounded and compounded. And it was like, 
it was very dangerous. So yeah, the morning yeah. became the, or the night became the morning, became, everything was the same, right? Yeah. If somebody is, um, you know, starting out dry January and really want, you know, thinking, okay, I want to try this out. I want to take a month off. Um, but they feel like they're not, you know, they're feeling all that depression, anxiety, and, and they can't really stick with it, um, because their emotions are all over the place. Um, you know, like we were saying for us, when we stopped drinking, we didn't realize that we had for me, I, I didn't realize I was suffering from anxiety and depression. I didn't realize that there was a lot of stuff going on and that's why I was drinking. I didn't, you know, realize I was numbing all of these emotions. Um, so for somebody who's just thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to lose some weight January. I'm going to feel so good. And then all of a sudden it's like, holy shit. Like, I'm like really not in a good headspace all of a sudden. Like what, what do we suggest those people do? Like what, you know, Jill, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not sure? I don't know. <laughs> We're not doctors, so. No, that, that like weight loss one. Yeah. So many of us do that. We're like, okay, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm going to lose some weight. This is going to be great. And we always, and then that's just like another thing to beat yourself up over. If you don't lose the weight, then it's like, why even bother with this? I didn't lose those 20 pounds or 10 pounds that I wanted to. I didn't lose anything. And and it's a total distraction from what the actual point should be. Like we shouldn't link not drinking with now. That means I'm going to lose a bunch of weight and like have all these positive things, but we do. And it just leads to, it sets us up for disappointment when we attach it to something like that. I think that a lot of us, I know I did, we think not drinking is just, that's it. Yeah. You stop. Okay. I'm good. I'm done. I got out of it. Let's go. Life is going to be great. And then you find that it's not. And yeah. there's all this healing that has to be done. And you have to actually go through withdrawal, which isn't comfortable. And we beat ourselves up for it and feel discouraged and everything. But I think that if you like literally can't get past the first few days because of mental health, you got to talk to a doctor or a therapist, like Ketsia said, and don't feel ashamed in that because it's just going to get worse. The longer that you put it off and try to self-medicate with it or say, you know, oh, when, when this circumstance in my life is better, then I'll be able to like be stronger in quotes and deal with it. Like, no, your anxiety is just going to get worse. So I think dealing with it as soon as you're sick of your own crap is the best time. But if someone is like, they can handle the withdrawal, but they just, they keep convincing themselves like, oh, I wasn't that bad, or it'll be different this time, that whole thing. I think that I would, I would try to become more aware of what's actually happening and not just that beginning part like you see the beginning part when the drug takes its effect but look at the whole experience like the middle of the night and the next day are also part of that experience mm -hmm. so I would try to zoom out a little bit and see your drinking for what it is I think that's one of the most important parts of the journey 
is to actually see and accept the truth of what's going on. And if you do go back and forth, it's just more data for why you can't drink the way that you want to drink. And unfortunately, sometimes we need a lot of data and we need to really be sure that it's not going to be different. So I know that my members will say that sometimes they'll, you know, have a slip or something and then they'll be like, yep, I guess I just needed some more data. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's a way to not shame yourself or beat yourself up because the shame is just going to make you want to drink even more. Yeah. I mean, you just say, fuck it. I'm never going to do this. Keep drinking. Yeah. That's, I think Annie Grace calls it that like data points or whatever. Like, um, I think, I think that's a great way of looking at it. I, um, I love that. I think also, um, you said something else I was going to comment on Ketia did you have something to say um there was something you touched on it earlier Jill about willpower Mm. um I've noticed in recovery that there's different schools of thought when it comes to like white knuckling it willpower there's thoughts around what you just touched on about uh data points and like quote unquote like relapses or whatever people want to call it some people don't believe that you can Sorry, some people believe that you can do this through willpower alone and that you, and I know you've had episode, at least one episode on this, but like, can you talk about that? Because I see it come up a lot where people, not just in dry January, but in um, sober curious or trying to, trying to imagine, like they try to plan out their whole life. Like, okay, if I make this decision, how are things going to be? And they want to know exactly how it is. Right. So they're like, if I can just power through this. And I'm like, I don't believe it works like that. And and I think there must be some science behind why willpower alone isn't going to get you through things like withdrawal or, or things like that are going on with your body. So can you sort of talk about that? Because a lot of people seem to think that they can just white knuckle it. Well, every time I tried that, I ended up drinking again, right? So is that when they like refer to it being like a dry drunk when you're not actually doing the work and like that yeah or, or just the belief mental stuff yeah required um the work <laughs> yeah so when you just try to remove the alcohol and do nothing else that's a dry drunk um and i think a lot of people do think it's just a willpower thing they think it's they don't have self control discipline whatever and if they could only have more of that then they would be able to control it or stop or whatever. And I think someone who's trying to willpower it, they don't fully want to stop. They just kind of think they should, Mm -hmm. which is another reason why it's easy to go back when you don't actually want to not drink. Um, And I'll compare it to another bad habit. We all, if you're thinking about willpowering your way through, you're probably thinking about your drinking as just a bad habit that you need to break. So a bad habit is like biting your nails. You can willpower your way through that one. You just don't do it. And you want, you feel like that, ooh, like that itch, you want to bite your nails and you just keep saying no, no, no. And then eventually you break the habit and you move on with your life. But you're not going to have some stressful situation in your life or some unexpected bad thing happen 
and your thought is like, I need to bite the crap out of my nails. Like, let's, <laughs> let's go on these nails. Like everything. <laughs> yep. You're not going to, you're not going to think that. But with alcohol, something bad happens and you think like, I want to get drunk and ruin my life right now. Let's go to the store. Alcohol is going to help. So mm -hmm. I think seeing it again, like seeing it for what it actually is, it's not a bad habit in my opinion, yeah. like biting your nails, ordering takeout every day. Like those are bad habits that you can break and then you move on and you don't think about it. If you have a problem with alcohol and you're considering stopping, it's probably because you think about it way too much. You think about it nonstop. And that obsession doesn't happen with a regular old bad habit. So I think that is the main difference. And that's why willpower doesn't work because we see alcohol as the solution. It fixes our problems. We don't have any tools or coping skills at all. You don't need like a a tool or a coping skill if you're a nail biter. You just need to stop freaking biting your nails. Right. And that's it. Like you don't have to go to therapy and learn how to deal with your emotions and like do the whole thing to get out of this nail biting habit. But you do need to actually develop some tools and coping skills to not drink. So I think seeing it as something that's really serious and not a bad habit and a lot of times people with willpower, they think if they can break the bad habit, then they can drink again too. So I think being honest with yourself about your purpose, like, do you really want to stop drinking or do you just feel like you should and, or do you hope that you can do it a different way in the future? Yeah. And do you, and do you see alcohol for what it is? I liked how you said that because let's call it what it is. It's poison and it's carcinogenic and it's, you know, it's not good for anybody. So I think when a lot of people in that come in that are kind of on the fence about what they're going to do, haven't gotten to the point where they see alcohol as the villain, as the problem and, and realizing that underneath the drinking is something that they're hoping to cover up, mask, soothe, um, obliterate, like some, so there, there's something under it, right? So it's not just the alcohol for the sake of destroying your life, usually, right? Like you're doing this for a reason. Um, but I think sometimes people haven't caught, quite got to that point where they're like, okay, actually this, I'm not bad, a bad person. Alcohol is very bad. And, and willpower alone is not going to change that, you know, that, that, that's always going to be the case. I don't know. I, I think that's so. I think that's such a a valid, very true point. And you know, having a fight with your friends or having like a big blow up with your spouse or something isn't gonna, you know, be the final factor that gets you. <clears throat> so we all have those huge red flags or rock bottom moments. But I honestly think that it, you have to have like that conversation with yourself. You have to like really answer to yourself at the end of the day and know that, you know, look yourself in the mirror and, and say like, this is not working for me anymore. Like alcohol, like it just, it can't be in my life anymore. And I think that, you know, cause there were so many times where I screwed up and, you know, I wrote about it in my book and I, and I 
talked about it so much on here about all the stupid, awful things that I've, I've done. And people are like, God, and you still drank for another five years. Like, yeah, still kept drinking. And, you know, it was finally like on a random day that I just kind of woke up and I said, I think I'm finally done. Like I was able to finally listen to that tiny voice in the back of my mind that was telling me this is not serving you. And it was there all along, but I finally was ready to listen to it. And I think that's when you're able to stop white knuckling, um, and, and really, um, commit to it. Um, but I think, you know, when you hear that, when you are ready to listen to that voice, yeah. you know, yeah. and you if, only know. <laughs> and if you're not ready, I mean, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. Like, right. I'm, yeah, just be honest with yourself. Like a lot of times we, we feel like we should stop drinking. So we try to willpower it and then we don't succeed and we beat ourselves up, but you never wanted to actually not drink. So we're beating ourselves up for doing something that deep down we really wanted to do. So it just, it creates this unnecessary shame. Like if you, if you feel like you should stop, just call it what it is. Mm -hmm. And then if you slip up and you drink, just see it as a learning experience and not like you suck. You didn't, you didn't fully want to quit either. You were just kind of dabbling and considering it. And now you have more information and maybe you're getting closer to that point where you're like, no, thank you. This is the worst I'm done. But a lot of times we stay in the cycle where we think we're trying to quit and beat ourselves up for years, but we didn't actually want to stop. We just wanted to like learn to control it. Figure right. out how to keep alcohol in your life somehow or how to be a moderate, quote unquote, normal drinker. So yep. really you weren't committed to getting rid of alcohol together. Right. You weren't committed. Like there was that day where you say to yourself, I am ready. I'm going to do this. And I definitely had those. And then, never again. Never again. I can never drink again. This is it. I would say to my husband, this is it. I'm going to do it. You know, and grand then, sweeping gestures. And, you know, oh, that's always it. But um, and those all played a part in the larger story of when I finally got to that point, you know, and, and, and if you find that you are one of those people that, you know, keep starting and stopping, like Jill said, no shame in that. It all plays a, a part of your story and you will get to where you need to go. Yeah. Um, but you know, this was an episode about anxiety. So did we go off track? Maybe a little bit. (laughs) I have a, I have a question actually about anxiety. I just to bring it back to dry January, because we're in this right now or any dry months, right? Say you commit to doing 30 days, for example, dry. What say someone isn't going through the serious withdrawal symptoms that they need to be hospitalized or under medical supervision what could somebody expect to notice about anxiety related to drinking? Like there's symptoms that they would have from that in those first 30 days. I don't know if that's the right question because I'm not scientific, but what could they kind of expect to maybe some benefits or maybe things that they um, were looking for? That is the right question. Okay. Um, so you. there's there's two different categories that we can put anxiety in there's people that have anxiety in the first place and then there's people that have alcohol-induced anxiety 
which that was the category that I was in. So in my experience, I had really bad anxiety when I drink alcohol. And if I don't drink, I don't have anxiety to that level. It's basically gone. So if you have alcohol-induced anxiety, it might just go away mm-hmm. or become like 5 or 10% of what it was. And that's that's what I experienced. It went away immediately. But if you actually do have anxiety, you might feel worse for the first few days because during withdrawal, your brain is still expecting alcohol to be around. It's learned to work with alcohol to like keep you alive and keep things running as normally as possible. So because alcohol slows down your brain, your brain has learned to counteract that mm-hmm. and try to bring your activity back up to a normal level. So when you remove the alcohol, you just have this overactivity. So your anxiety might get worse in the first few days, especially day like two or three. Mm. It might be super bad. And then it should start to improve, um, hopefully for everybody. But during the first two weeks in general, like during the withdrawal phase, that's when it could feel worse, especially that first week. Mm. But then you should start to feel like more balanced as your brain learns like, oh, alcohol is not hanging out with us anymore. I got to learn how to regulate myself because this is kind of a mess in here. Right. And something else that you can do too is get your butt into therapy and learn how to actually deal with anxiety because alcohol, even though it does help for anxiety, it's just a drug that kind of makes you forget your problems temporarily. So learning how to actually deal with anxiety when it comes up will be really important. And that might look like medication in the beginning, especially during that withdrawal phase to get through the increased anxiety or therapy weekly or something like that, or a support group. But you got to do something about it. You just think that removing alcohol is going to solve all the problems. And sometimes even removing alcohol can like show a mental health condition that was being masked by your drinking. (laughs) There's a lot of people in the sober community that are getting adult ADHD diagnoses or, you know, something else, some other condition. And they didn't know they had it because they were drinking and alcohol like kind of fixes our problems like that. So we don't know what our actual problems are in terms of mental health. So you might feel worse in the beginning because you actually have a condition that needs treatment and now it's finally revealed itself. So I would be on the lookout for all of that. So don't don't think you're just going to like everything's great and perfect. And if you feel bad, you're the only one. <laughs> Some mm-hmm. people do feel worse in the beginning and there's all sorts of reasons, but not drinking is better for you than drinking in like literally every way, like hundred percent of the time it's better for you. And just to point out, Kim and I, were not laughing at what, at people that have these mass things. We actually, we can't see, but we both raised our hands because both of her and I 
were diagnosed in sobriety with ADHD. So it's just for a long time, you could be masking all sorts of things for all sorts of reasons. It could be the environment you were raised in. It could be social conditioning. It could be uh, a marriage or a relationship that you're in. There could be so many reasons and, and that could have propelled you to be drinking even more. Right. So I think, um, those things, if something like that comes up, it's not, you're not, you know, the, the outlier there's, there's a lot of things and conversations like this really help because bring it to people's, um, to the forefront, because we, we need to normalize these things. Like all of us have things that come out in sobriety that can feel scary, that can feel, make us feel really other than, or weird or whatever. And, and that I think all of us have had something or lots of things like that. So yeah, just a point. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And uh, I didn't realize I had, um, anxiety before I stopped drinking and I was diagnosed with that as well. So, um, incredibly helpful to finally get to the bottom of a lot of, um, these things that I had been, you know, masking in, in, um, running from hiding from, uh, and it feels good to finally be, be managing them with therapy, um, medications and, um, yeah, which yeah, two ADHD people on here trying to run a podcast. So actually, Catherine, <laughs> who's not with us because she's doing a lot of other stuff right now, but she also has ADHD. <laughs> I think we're doing okay. I just discovered oh. Calendly yeah. yesterday. I was like, this is great. Oh yeah, Calendly is good. Yeah, I, I had actually totally forgot I had an account too after the fact. <laughs> after you told me that, I was like, oh yeah, I do have Calendly. Forgot about that. Yeah. So um, in a lot of ways, when when you. I would say for the people in those like first 30 days too, some of the things, and Jill talks about this a lot in a lot of ways in her podcast, like a lot of things that you're going to be doing, you're going to feel like a newborn or like brand new. And you're going to be like, and you feel like oft, I used to feel like everyone around me knew like the, they got like the instruction manual and I didn't. And I'm like, how do I not know how to like, you know, open my mail and like <laughs> pay bills or whatever it is. Right. So there are, if it feels new and scary, which is also another reason why a lot of people drink is they don't want to be uncomfortable, right? You want to stick to what you know, and you know that alcohol brings you a certain thing. Well, over time, it actually doesn't, or it takes more alcohol, but our brain gets used to rationalizing having it around. So you're like, oh, whatever, you make excuses for it. It's like the bad boyfriend. You're like, oh, alcohol will change. <laughs> no. So anyway, just my little thing, but yeah. No, that is a good analogy. He'll always <laughs> love me. <laughs> a bad narcissistic abusive boyfriend. Uh, He'll change for me. I'll be the one. I'll be the one. <laughs> right. Than no, every woman die. ever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Jill, this is so great having you on here. Thank you. This is a long time overdue. We really appreciate you being here with us. Um, so thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, this has been great. Um, so yeah, thanks to all our listeners. Have a great weekend sober and we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye.